If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Acts. Let's go to chapter 1. And we want to pick up our study from verse 1 through verse 8. I tried to get up to verse 14, but it just didn't happen. And so for the next two chapters, we're going to look at the beginning of the church. And so this morning, we're looking at part 1. I want to give you some background, as I always do when we get into a, a new book study. When you study the New Testament, you begin with the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have to understand the mindset. Matthew is writing to the Jewish mind. Mark is writing to the Roman mind. And when you come to the Gospel of Luke, Luke is writing to the Greek mind. He's writing especially to his former master. His name is Theophilus. It means lover of God in the Greek. Historically, we're told that both men had come to saving grace in Christ. Theophilus frees Luke up as his duties as a doctor to Theophilus and his family, allowing Luke to travel, to be part of the ministry. And we know after the book of Acts in chapter 9, he eventually hooks up with Paul the Apostle. And so as we study the gospel of Luke, and as you come in to the book of Acts, in the early church, they were... The same. There was a split there. That's why you see the book of Acts now and you see the gospel of Luke. But it was the same. Because it's the same writer. And so after you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you come into the gospel of John. And that's what we've been studying for the last year or so. And just going through the gospel of John. And John is speaking to the mindset of the world. He speaks about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He speaks of Jesus, that he is the incarnate God. He speaks of Jesus in deity. And so we understand that. And if you've been with us through the Gospel of John, you're going to appreciate now as we get into the book of Acts. We come to the book of Acts that follows the four Gospels. The book of Acts has been called the Acts of the Apostles. The book of Acts has also been called the Acts of the Church. Some have even labeled it the book of Acts, the, the Acts of Paul the Apostle, because we're going to get deep into the ministry of Paul the Apostle. But I personally prefer that the book of Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit as he leads, as he guides the New Testament church. The word church is the ecclesia, of the called out ones. It's God's new work now. The animal sacrifices were not sufficient. Jesus is the complete animal sacrifice no more. But Jesus is the complete Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. A little more background. Uh, the author of the book of Luke, or the book of, of Acts, is Luke, who took care of Paul's needs. And we're going to see that because Paul traveled to Asia Minor. He traveled through Greece. He traveled through, through Rome. He needed a physician. It's written to Theophilus, his master, lover of God. It's interesting that God obviously touched Theophilus. And he lets Luke go. He had the finances to have a personal a physician. The writing of, of the book of Acts is approximately around 65 A.D. I want you to listen to the purpose of the book of Acts. The book of Acts, the purpose, the continuation of the gospel of Luke. But I would like to say uh, the continuation of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts tells us of the continued work of Jesus Christ, our Messiah, and the lives of the apostles of the New Testament church through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When we speak of the book of Acts, that these apostles were, the word is apostolos, they were uh, ambassadors, representatives of Christ. And see, each one of you that are born again of the Holy Spirit, we are ambassadors of Christ. Wherever you go, Christ goes with you, and you represent Christ. And so that's why it's important for us. And you're going to see the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to be an effective witness for Christ. 
Yes, you call yourself a Christian here in these within these walls of the church, but how do we act outside? How do we act at home? How do we act at work or at school? Do they say do they see Christ in you or do they still see the old man? Or do they still see the old woman? And so the church explodes in Acts chapter 2, and they're never the same. Now, I need to give you this background. Please notice that there are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. But in all reality, there is no period at the end of Acts 28. In other words, the book of Acts continued since Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the 120 in the upper room, until today, the 21st century, you, myself, all who are born again of the Holy Spirit, are still writing the book of Acts. So you say, well, I read the book of Acts, I got up to chapter 28, I'm finished. No, the book of Acts continues. The book of Acts is not finished. It's still being written in the lives, in your life, in my life, in the lives of Christians throughout the world. And so the book of Acts is considered by many. Listen to this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, the book of Acts is considered the fifth Gospel. Taking Jesus to his word. And Jesus taught on the Great Commission. So before we get into Acts chapter 1, leave a marker there and turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. I want to show you the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Again, it's not just my ministry. It's not just these guys' ministry that came uh, from Albuquerque to go minister in what is. It's not just your ministry if you have a Bible study at home. It's not just, you know, well, it's their ministry. They go to the prisons. It's their ministry. They go to the hospitals. No, uh, we're all called to bring forth the Great Commission. It was not just for the early church. They were the beginning. And that's what we're going to declare here, the beginning of the church, part one. But we can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so Matthew chapter 28, look at verse 16. Jesus says, Then the eleven disciples went away into the Galilee, uh, to the mountains which Jesus had appointed for them, or Luke is writing. And when they saw him, they saw the risen Christ. This is the work of the church. In verse 17, they worshipped him. But still today, as it was then, some doubted. And Jesus came and he spoke to them. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he gives the authority back. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Make students. Make pupils. Make learners of Christ. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are those even today that argue. I believe in being baptized in Jesus' name only. It's called uh, Acts 2.28, I believe. And anyway... <laughs> When you speak about Jesus only, you have to be very careful. Because uh, here's the Great Commission. Go baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said. It speaks about the Trinity, doesn't it? And look at verse 20. Uh, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And I love this. I know I can't do it by myself. And I know you can't do it. Uh, by yourself. So here's the promise. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so be it. Amen. The promise of the Holy Spirit, the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit worked in specific cases. But after the book of Acts in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is going to lead us and guide us into all truth. He's going to teach you all things. I like this promise at the conclusion of the Great Commission. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Wasn't that the promise that he gave to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to Joshua? You're called to a word, but I will not leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you. I need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. 
And so here we begin in the book of Acts in chapter 1, verse 1. It's still being written today. But you and I cannot do it without the power of God's Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to be a good pastor. I need the Holy Spirit to be a, a good husband. I need the Holy Spirit to be a, a, a good brother, a cousin, whatever it might be. I need the Holy Spirit. I cannot do it alone. I will fail, and I have failed in time past. Was when I surpass and, and I try to do it in my own. And that's what the early church is about. A good example is Peter. We just finished in the book of, uh, uh, of the Gospel of John, that is, and it was the restoration of Peter. Remember that Peter had denied the Lord three times, and he said, I will never deny you. So, Peter, you will deny me three times. On the third time, the rooster will crow. Remember when Peter heard the rooster crow? One of the Gospels says that Peter went outside and he cursed. He cursed. Because he knew that's exactly what Jesus said. But didn't Jesus restore him? Remember the restoration process? Peter, do you love me? Jesus said. Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. By that time, Peter's getting frustrated. I love you, Lord. And he says, Peter, do you really, truly love me? Yes, Lord. I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Peter was restored. We're going to see the spokesman uh, in Peter in the book of Acts in chapter 2. But let's begin here now. In Acts chapter 1, verses 1, uh, 2, and 3, it's called the prologue. It's called the introduction uh, to the book of Acts. And so Luke just gives us some insight here. And he begins here in verse 1, uh, the former account. If you have a King James, it says treatise. And, and so the translation, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, the former account that I made. So Dr. Luke, writing the continuation from the Gospel of Luke to his old master, his old boss, Theophilus, lover of God, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach in his ministry, literally for the last three and a half years. And so they're understanding that at this point. What did Luke see? What did Matthew and Mark see? What did John see? The ministry of Christ. Uh, we're told that uh, when we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you add up, the miracle signs and wonders, there were approximately about 35 miracle signs and wonders. But then when you get into John chapter 21, verse 25, uh, many more other things Jesus did. But there were not enough volumes of books that would have contained. But we have what Jesus had been in the 35 miracle signs and wonders. And that's not what brings you to Christ. So we, we say, Lord, show me a miracle, a sign, a wonder, and I will serve you. How many people have seen a miracle? Birth is a, is a miracle. Being able to see with these eyes is a miracle. Look at the technology that we've seen, some of us. These are miracles. Does that bring people to Christ? Notice as we continue now. Look at verse 2. Until the day Luke is writing, in which he was taken up, speaking of Christ, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles when he had, whom he had chosen. And so Jesus, until the day or after the 40 days of post-resurrection, when Jesus was taken away, his ascension, we'll read that next week, back into his rightful place, which is heaven, and he sits at the right hand of majesty on high. In those 40 days of post-resurrection, the Holy Spirit gave commandments. Listen to the translation of the word commandment. It's spiritual insight, spiritual instructions to his apostles, uh, his uh, ambassadors of Christ, his leaders at the time. And these instructions are to us also. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit that they will receive in Acts chapter 2, 
in the upper room, the 120. Those that he, Jesus Christ, had chosen. Except Judas Iscariot. We know there's only 11 left. Judas has gone out and he's hung himself. But as the Holy Spirit falls in the book of Acts in chapter 2, what about us today? All we have to do is ask. And the Holy Spirit will fall upon us. Go back to our text. Look at verse 3 now. To whom he also presented himself alive. Not a dead God that we serve, but he's alive. After his suffering, by the many infallible proofs. If you like to write in your Bible, underline that. Many infallible proofs. Being seen by them during the 40 days of speaking of those things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Speaking of Jesus now, he presented himself alive, the risen Christ in his glorified body. After his much suffering, I want you to write this down. We've studied Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering Christ. We've studied Psalm 22, the suffering Savior. When you look at Luke chapter 24 and Mark chapter 16, of the two men on the road to Emmaus, they were fleeing Jerusalem. And they were going from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's about an eight-mile journey. And they talked with Jesus. They didn't even know who he was. But at the end, there in Emmaus, remember, he broke bread with them. And I believe when he handed the bread, uh, you know, think about the clothing they would wear, the garments. With long flowing gowns. And they exposed the nail prints. Because those two men, after Jesus left, they went back to Jerusalem. What did they say? One of them is named Cleopas. Didn't our hearts burn within us? They were with the risen Christ. But I believe the markings of the cross were upon him. These were infallible proofs to these men. Evidence that removes all doubt. That's what it means, infallible proof. Jesus presented himself alive and many convincing proofs uh, the new American Standard Bible. When I see a changed life, that's an infallible proof to me. When you see a changed life, it should be an infallible proof to you. Back in Southern California, when I began in ministry, it was the uh, prison, jail, and street ministry. I got to see firsthand the change of lives. I saw my own life change. Others seen my life change. They see your life. And if they don't see a change, they say, well, that's Christianity. I can do that. No, they have to see a changed life. You're a drug addict? No more. You curse? No more. You drink, you smoke, and, and do the things that the world does no more. There has to be transformation. There has to be metamorphosis. In the years that I've been in ministry, I have had the opportunity uh, to see the drug addict change. Where they say you can't. Yes, you can. Through Christ, all things are possible. I've seen the homosexual change. I've seen the lesbian change. I've seen the transvestite change. I've seen the prostitute change. Don't tell me you can't change. And that's when Christ is working in you. There was a good friend of mine back, back home, Larry, and his demon was four packs of cigarettes a day. And he couldn't stop. He couldn't stop. When he came to Christ, he says, I'm tired of this. And he stopped as they said, cold turkey, and everybody told him, you can't do it. He did it. He did it because he gave it to Christ. He did it because he gave it to Christ. And, and the things that I change, the things that you change, is through the power of God's Holy Spirit. That's an infallible proof. We were back home. Back in the 80s. And uh, there was a gentleman that was invited to come and speak. I, I never forgot him. His name was Perry Desmond. What Perry did is he wanted be a woman and he went through the surgeries and he butchered his body and he came to testify 
And everybody in the church just crying, weeping. He says, look at me. Look what I've done. Believing the lie that there was a woman hid inside of me. I say, God changed that man. God changed him. So many people buy into the lie. An infallible proof when they saw Christ, when they saw the risen Christ. I want you to take this note. I want you to study 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. And it says the risen Christ, faith reality. In verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that over 500 brethren saw the risen Christ all at once. Church, that's an infallible proof. An infallible proof. A convincing a convincing act of the power of God. But I like this personally. Now, I'm giving you a personal insight. Those of you that have gone through the Gospel of John with us, you can go back tonight and start in John chapter 1 and start to underline, this is an infallible proof to me. This is a, a, a God thing to me. When I read John chapter 20, verses 19 to 29, I want you to go back. And study that. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Jesus is in his risen body. Jesus appears to his disciples behind closed doors. And as he comes through the wall, literally, he reaches out to them and he says, Peace be unto you. Jesus showed him his hands and his side. Now, Thomas, we know him as Doubting Thomas. He was not with them at the time. Jesus says, tell Thomas. And they did. And Thomas came back eight days later. And he says, I can't. I cannot believe unless I touch the nail prints on his hand and place my hand in his side. Then I will believe. Isn't that like some of us sometimes? Lord, you need to do this, then I'm going to believe. He doesn't have to do anything. He's already done it. He's done everything. The Bible says, there in John chapter 20, eight days later, Jesus appeared behind the closed doors again, and he came through the wall, and he says, peace be unto you. And then he said unto Thomas, reach here with your hand, and reach here my side. And Jesus said to him, listen to the words to Thomas, do not be unbelieving, but be believing. Thomas did not touch the hands nor the side. Of Jesus. But I believe Thomas fell to the ground in obeisance and worship. And this is what Thomas said My Lord and my God. He gave him deity. And Jesus said, Now you believe because you have seen me. But blessed are those that have not seen and they believe. That's you and I this morning. I've never seen, seen the risen Christ. And I know you've never seen the risen Christ, but I see his works. I see his changed lives and people. That's an infallible proof. And to Thomas, it was an infallible proof when he said, my hands and my side, Thomas to the ground. My Lord, my God, giving him deity. The incarnate God. Remember when Philip had come to Jesus? And he says, show us the Father, and it will be sufficient. And Jesus says, Philip, you've seen me. You've seen the Father. In fact, then he takes it another step. My Father and I are one. This is why the Sanhedrin wanted to kill him. Jesus claimed Godhood. That's an infallible proof because he is God. But people struggle with that. People struggle with that. Remember those words of Thomas. My Lord and my God. The infallible proof for Thomas. The infallible proof for us. There's many more. But as we get into verse 4 now. The promise of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see it complete now in Acts chapter 2. But for right now, the promise of the Holy Spirit. I want you to write down a few verses. 
in Joel, the Old Testament, chapter 2, verse 28 through 32, God's Spirit is poured out. That was a promise to come. But I want you to leave a marker there and turn with me to 2 Peter, chapter 1. Now, it's interesting because I just told you that Peter was restored at the conclusion of the Gospel of John. He denies the Lord three times. And then Jesus restores him. And Jesus uses him mightily. We're going to see in Acts chapter 2, the spokesman, after the 120 come out, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Guess who speaks up? Peter. And so Peter gives his own infallible proofs as he wrote the scriptures. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Look at verse 16 through 21. And I like the caption in my Bible. The trustworthy prophetic word. And so the prophecy of Joel chapter 2. And Peter speaks. Verse 16. For we did not follow a cunningly devised uh, fables when we made, whom we made known uh, to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But were eyewitnesses. That was the infallible proof for Peter. Eyewitnesses of his majesty. In verse 17, for he, Jesus Christ, received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. Listen to the voice that came to them. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If you're taking notes again, we find this in Matthew chapter 17. Specifically, in, in verse 5, Jesus had taken uh, Peter, James, and John up to the, the Mount of Transfiguration. It's a beautiful teaching there. And there in the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is in his glorified body, uh, showing the disciples, this is what's going to come. One day you will receive a glorified body. Not only was Jesus there on the Mount of Transfiguration, but also Elijah and Moses. Interesting to me, in Matthew chapter 17, the disciples recognized Jesus, obviously. But they also knew Elijah and Moses. We're going to know everybody. If you haven't read the book of Habakkuk, you better read it because you're going to see him in heaven. Then you're going to say, who are you? Because you didn't read my book? I could barely say your name. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Interesting, Peter the spokesman uh, later, but there he opens his mouth and he says, let us build three booths. That was not the purpose. Look at verse 18. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Again, the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17. In verse 19, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Uh, this morning star is what is Peter saying to them? He's talking about the Old Testament prophecy. I asked you to, you know, jot down Job, or Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32. And then we've already mentioned Isaiah uh, chapter 53. And we've also mentioned uh, Psalm 22. And so the prophetic word confirmed the Old Testament prophecy. Peter, a fisherman, he knew these. Look at verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. The prophets pinned as the Holy Spirit spoke. We know now that over 300 Old Testament prophecies that spoke or speak clearly of Jesus' birth, His life, His death, and His resurrection. These men wrote, as they were led by the power of God's Spirit. Sometimes they didn't even know what they were pinning. Look at verse 21, the conclusion here. 
For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. These men and women were used as tools of God, were used as instruments of God. I'm an instrument of God. You're an instrument of God. Maybe you'll never get in the pulpit, but you're an instrument of God. You're called to govern your family, men. Moms, you're called to govern your family and to take care of the household and to be in obedience to your husband. That's what the scriptures declare. And the only reason you're in obedience is because he's been called the head of the house. It's through creation that God gave the authority. Prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Ladies, I think of the book of Ruth. Ladies, I think of the book of Esther. We're going to be in the book of Judges. I think of uh, the Judge Deborah. May God use women. What about Mary Magdalene uh, in the New Testament? The woman that Jesus cast out. Seven demons. God wants to use us. All we have to be is available. Available. Tomorrow, I'm not going to be with you. You're going to go back to school. You're going to go back to work. Maybe you're traveling. You're going to be the witness, the testimony of Christ wherever you go. And so all that to set up verse 4. Let's go back to our text now. The Holy Spirit promised. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 8. In verse 4 it says, this is Luke writing uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Well, that's the hardest part, especially for men. Uh, to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. So after Jesus ascends back to heaven, after the 40-day post-resurrection, and we'll see that next week. He told them to wait. Then 10 days later, the Holy Spirit of promise came. It's called Pentecost. And they were never the same. I love that Jesus incorporates the Trinity. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. I think it's very difficult. I still struggle. To wait upon God. But I have a way when the Spirit of the Lord speaks to me, and I just, in a sense, I try to ignore it. I don't want to deal with it. If it's God, let Him be persistent, and He is. But sometimes I hear a voice back in the day, and then I would just go and get myself into trouble. Learn to wait upon the Lord. He will speak to you, He will minister to you. God has a way of opening doors, and God has a way of closing doors. I try not to go ahead of God. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. When I pass somebody on the street, and maybe I see their vehicle, you know, broken down. Maybe it's somebody jacking up a tire, and I see they're having difficulty. Maybe it's a woman. And I said, man, I got, I got to go help her. I got to go help him. And I said, well, there's plenty of people behind me. And the Holy Spirit doesn't let go sometimes. Bob turned around. Oh, I got to go, man. I got somewhere to go. I need help. Turn around. I don't know if you do it, but there's many times I have to turn around. And sometimes the, the help is needed. And sometimes you're there. God wants to use you. And so sometimes it's very... Now, it's not waiting upon the Lord, but it's now in the Holy Spirit. Yes, oh yeah. I don't know about you, but I, I can't shortchange anybody. If I shortchange somebody, I can't sleep at night. You know what I mean. You, you give them a 20, and they give you a change for a 50. Or let's, you give them a 10, they give you a change for a 20. And then you go, oh, thank you, Jesus. She's got to pay for that. He's got to pay for that. I don't know if you've ever returned 
the Holy Spirit's leading you. And you go back and you tell him. I had a, a friend here at the church. He, he moved on. He's not here no more. He was over here at Wendy's and he tells me that uh, they didn't bring his baked potato in time. He had to go back to work. And he was all mad. And so he didn't get back to work. He had to go back. He apologized to that person. He apologized for yelling at them because the baked potato wasn't. I go, good man. And that person went in the back. This crazy guy, man. I don't know this potato. I don't understand him. But learn to wait on the Lord. And sometimes God speaks now. Take the initiative. Take the initiative. Look at verse 5 now. And for John, he's giving us another example. Speaking of John the Baptist. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan for the remission of sins. The remission of sins for the outward work of repentance. But after the born again experience, the Holy Spirit would come in to the believer in Christ. Then in the book of Acts, chapter 2, the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the EPI experience, EPI, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. And you will never be the same. You will never be the same. Let me give you a few verses. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon the 120 in the upper room. They're born again of the Holy Spirit, or they could not be there. And they were just sitting, just like you. And the Holy Spirit came upon them. As cloven tongues of fire, they were speaking in unknown tongues. That was evidence for them. There were 17, 18 different dialects there, and they heard the wonderful works of God in their language. Then you go to the book of Acts in chapter 8. These there in chapter 8 had already been baptized, but then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit power upon them. Years ago, I was seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I told some of you. And I wanted to speak in tongues. I had gifts that I just couldn't see yet. But I wanted to speak in tongues. Because my wife had spoken in tongues. And she had the, the gift. And so I said, this is man, right? How could she have it and I can't? And so I went everywhere. I've been pushed, shoved spit upon, shook. They always try to knock me down. And I'd take the football stance, put one leg up, one leg back. They're not going to push me down. But they try. I was looking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Little did I know, I already had it. We went to this little fellowship, and uh, it was one of those victory outreaches. And so my brother's sitting in the third pew down. And I had gone up, got laid hands on, nothing happened. And I come back, my brother's in the, in the row, sitting, crying. I go, what's your problem? And he goes, listen, blah, blah, blah. And he speaks in tongues. And I'm like, oh, man. Lord, why him? Now my wife, now him. And I was doing it for the wrong reasons. The wrong reasons. God wants to baptize you. The evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, it's the least of the gifts. It's the least of the gifts. And so God wants to work in us and through us. Yes, the 120, they, they, they spoke in, in an unknown tongue. In the book of Acts in chapter 8, they had, had, had hands laid upon them in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't ever try to put the Holy Spirit in a box. He's going to work the way he desires. Now I want you to turn to another passage. Leave a marker there. Go to John chapter 7 with me. And look at verses 37 through 39. Jesus was giving them the promise of the Holy Spirit again. He's at the temple. He's at the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the last day of the feast. And they would clean the altar. There would be the time of, 
of, you know, the animal sacrifices, the blood, the guts and such, and they would take these basins of water, these jars of water, and they would clean it out. And Jesus could see the people. They were looking at the thirst factor, the physical thirst factor. Listen to what Jesus says to them. In John 7, look at verse 37. On, that, on, on the last day, that great day of the feast, he says, Jesus stood and he cried out. This is at the Feast of Tabernacles. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He wasn't speaking about physical water. He's talking about the spiritual. He's talking about the spiritual. In verse 38, and he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus was speaking of the power of the Holy Spirit. He clarifies it in verse 39. But this he spoke concerning of the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so in the next couple of weeks, we'll get into Acts chapter 2, the time of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That he had already prepared them, but they didn't grasp it. Of the prophecy of Joel chapter 2 coming to completion. And still today, the power of God's Spirit. How important that is. Now let's go back to our text. Look at verse 6 now. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? God, Jesus was speaking so much about infallible proofs. Jesus was speaking to them about the power of the Holy Spirit to come. And then they throw this question out to him. This was the ongoing cry. The political pressures of Rome were great. And so you can't blame them. Uh, the persecution of the early church would be very great. They had no concept of that. The religious oppression from the Sanhedrin was also overwhelming, especially there in Jerusalem. But Jesus did not come, listen, in his first advent, to set up the kingdom age. He came to die as a meek lamb. And they missed it. The religious sect couldn't grasp that. Even the disciples couldn't understand. Until the book of Acts in chapter 2. Jesus' first advent. He came to die as a meek lamb. Read Isaiah chapter 53. If this is the Messiah, what's he doing? You know, we heard he was born in Bethlehem. We heard he was born in a cave uh, placed in an animal's trough. Mary took clothes and just stripped it. They were clean. The straw was probably very clean. You know Joseph had to clean that trough off. Swaddling clothes was poor man. Well, come on, Messiah has to be born in Jerusalem. Messiah has to be born at the Hilton, right? The animal's trough. In Jesus' first advent, he did not come to set up the kingdom age, but in his second advent, he will come to judge the nations, and he will set up the kingdom age. He will reign for a thousand years. We, the church, will be kings and priests in the millennium to come. Look at verse 7 now. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Have you come to restore Israel now? And so Jesus here, in verse 7, slightly rebuked the disciples against inquiring the timing of God's kingdom. Why? Because those things belong to God the Father alone. Notice that it says, which the Father has put into his own authority. Look at the times we are currently in. Devastating times. There is such a hatred 
and such an animosity today uh, against the church. And it's not getting better. It's getting worse and worse. Sin is running rapid. Same-sex marriage is overpowering uh, state after state. And here in our own community, an abortion clinic is being built right in our own town. Can I stop it? No. Can you stop it? No. Can God stop it? Yes. Our place is to pray. Are these signs of the times of his soon return? Pastor Bob, is this the time of the rapture of the church? Is it at hand? I hope and pray that it comes in our time. But ultimately, as Jesus said, look at verse 7 again. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times uh, or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Politely, he's saying it's none of your business. You continue to do the work of the Father. Hey, I want the rapture of the church to happen now. It's in his time. It's in his time. We have five grandchildren. Three of those are, are teenagers. I'm concerned. I'm concerned. And I text them. And I tell them, Grandpa loves you. I know, I know. And they're teenagers. It's a tough time for a kid. We thought the 60s were crazy. When I question, is this the time, Lord? It never fails. These two verses always come to mind. Please write them down. Some of you know them. Isaiah 55, verse 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. It saith the Lord. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good uh, to those who love God and to those that are called according uh, to his purpose. Uh, now, those two particular verses, Isaiah 55, verse 8, and Romans 8, 28. I have this love-hate relationship with them. Oh, I love to give them out, but I hate when somebody brings it to me. But they are for, for each one of us. This is how God speaks to us. This is how God ministers to us. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons, Jesus said to them. And so we come to the conclusion this morning Look at verse 8 with me. But you, speaking to the church now, speaking to the disciples, speaking to those that are going to take the Great Commission, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses uh, to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here in a nutshell is the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit. In my life and in your life. You shall receive power. Underline that word. It's the word dunamis. It's the Greek word where we get our English word uh, dynamics. Where we get our English word dynamite. Uh, it gives us the expression. It speaks of explosive power. I like what this says. Dr. Ralph Earle. Word meanings in the New Testament Greek. He says, having this power in my life, in your life, God enables you with his power. God enables you with his power. And he gives us three purposes for it. And I agree with him. Number one, he gives us adequate power. Well, I want more power than her. I want more power than him. God gives you the adequate power of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, Personal power. I need the power of the Holy Spirit as I shared before. To be a good pastor. To be a good husband. Now to be a good grandfather. To be a good brother to my brother back home. To be a good brother to my sisters back home. I can't do it on my own. You need the power personal power to do the things that you do. Number three, 
Dr. Earl says, perpetual power. Listen to this. The word perpetual power never ended. The Holy Spirit came upon me 30 plus years ago. The Holy Spirit has not left. The Holy Spirit. Now, when I am in sin and you're in sin and we do get into sin, the Holy Spirit shrinks back in my life, shrinks back in your life, and we're not effective. We need to confess that sin. We need to get back into the Lord. I come up here on Sunday morning and I say, guys, pray for me. Lay hands on me. In the morning after our prayer at 8 o'clock, we have an anointing. I need the anointing. I need it desperately. And so, Dr. Ralph Earl says that the Holy Spirit will give you adequate power. The Holy Spirit will give you personal power. The Holy Spirit will give you uh, perpetual power. But listen to uh, Strong's Dictionary of Greek Words, and it says, God will enable you with miraculous power. With miraculous power. When I see a changed life, it's a miracle of God. God changes man. God changes woman. Second Corinthians 5.17 If any man or any woman is in Christ Jesus, he or she is a new creation. A change takes place. A metamorphosis that a 12-step program can't do it. And I'm not against it. I need one step, and that step is Christ. I tried 12-step. It didn't work for me. But my hat goes off to those that, that can do that. I need Christ. I need Christ. I need Christ. I got saved on a Sunday morning, my wife and I. I went home, and I told my brother, because he was doing drugs big time. And I was buying the drugs. I prided myself that I didn't do drugs. But I bought them and I give them to him. I says, Ed, you got to come to Christ, man. Or you're going to be doing this the rest of your life. Wednesday night, he went with me. I never gone to Wednesday church. Come on. It was enough to go Sunday morning. Once or twice a year. My brother gets saved. And so we both go back to work and they they... Oh, stay away from the Ortegas. <laughs> the power of God's Holy Spirit. Notice verse 8 again. And to the whole purpose of the power, the whole purpose of this dunamis power, to be an effective witness for Jesus in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is your hometown. The outskirts are Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I need the Holy Spirit power. You need the Holy Spirit. But you can't get that power unless you first come to Christ. Personal relationship. 